Good morning. And uh, thank you, Greg and worship team, for uh, leading us again this morning. For those on the Burkina team, welcome back to English in church. Glad to have you. And I would speak whatever Burkinabe I knew, or Fulani, or French, or whatever other language you encountered, but it would be short this morning. <laughs> I'm glad to have all of you. I hope as any morning you come here that your mind and your heart is renewed and refreshed by being among us and by, by trying to, to bring our lives, our hearts, our minds in alignment with who God is and what he wants for us and through us and with us. So we're glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Tim Rogers, one of the pastors here as well. We have just, we're going to today begin a really mini-series on heaven. Um, <clears throat> and we're not going to try to answer all of the world's questions about heaven in this series. Uh, that would take an eternity. Let's wait for heaven for that. But we're going to try to, in just two weeks, I'm going to try to, number one, today, convince you that, number one, your real life doesn't begin here on this earth until you understand heaven or the eternal state. So today I really just want to convince you of that, that your real life here doesn't really begin until you understand eternity. Number two, next week I want to convince you that heaven is going to be um, more amazing and fulfilling and complete than you probably have ever thought about or could even imagine. That's really all that I want to do in, in two weeks. If you want to know questions like, uh, am I going to see my relatives in heaven? Am I going to eat in heaven? How old am I going to be in heaven? And my little, you know, are there going to be babies and old people? And what, what's it going to be like? I'd recommend to you a book called Heaven, written by Randy Alcorn. Uh, it's a tremendous book that engages a lot of those things. But here's where I want to begin. As I was a kid growing up, I did not think about heaven a lot. And some of that is just unique to my environment. Some of you grew up and you thought about it a lot. I didn't have a lot of death in my family as a kid growing up in, um, in, in my home. In fact, it wasn't until I was later in high school when my grandfather died <clears throat> on my mom's side. My grandparents on my dad's side were no, weren't, weren't around when I was born, so I never knew them. And when my parents would go to funerals when I was a kid... I would never go, and my sister would never go, and there was reasons for that, but I did not encounter, did not experience, did not um, deal with death and what happens after death uh, as a kid very much at all. And so as I was a pallbearer for my grandfather's funeral in Connecticut, and I remember coming out of that very traditional um, liturgical, if you will, church, and I had a, a suit on, some of you can imagine that, some of you are like, you can wear a suit, and I was carrying part of my grandfather's casket with, um, I guess, six other guys or seven other guys. Um, and the bagpipes were playing because he has some Scottish background, McDougal um, was, was his name. Um, I remember thinking for a passing moment, I wonder, I wonder what comes next. I don't know. And then truth be told, I dismissed it as a thought that I can't really understand anyway, and in reality, hey, I'm 16, I got a lot of things going on in my life, and I'll think about it, I guess, when I get there. And I felt a lot like um, what, we, what we will read about in a moment here, but I felt that it's something that's too unknowable for me, that it's too much of a mystery. In fact, you know, I'll throw it up here right now. Um, the book of Isaiah puts it this way in chapter 40, verse 12. Isaiah is writing, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand 
or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens. In that case, he's talking about the universe, the visible, what was visible to the naked eye. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? That Isaiah is kind of reflecting on the massiveness of the world and even the heavens in terms of the universe and what is, and asking the question, all right, who among us is big enough and strong enough and wise enough to figure out how God did what he did here on earth? All right? Then, how in the world are any of us big enough, strong enough, wise enough to figure out what he's going to do in eternity? And who has the capability of doing that? Now, Isaiah put it in a way that I never could as a 16-year-old. I'm like, who can figure it out? Isaiah comes up with, with this. Essentially saying the same thing. It's beyond our comprehension. So for many of us, what we do is we say, um, I don't have time to think about heaven. In fact, I don't even really think about it. If I were to ask you now, by show of hands, those of you who, um, as you were getting ready for work this week, just even once this week, getting ready for work, you're like, man, oh, sh- hold on. I can't go to work until I've thought about heaven. I mean, let, let's go just one time this week. How many of you were just, you're just stuck in your day because you're like, I need to figure out heaven. I was because I had to teach you guys this morning. So I'm like, hey, that's me. I'm stuck on this thing, right? For most, for most of us, we do, not, we do not think about the reality of the eternal state very much because we think, listen, real life happens now. I've got... I've got to go to work. I've got to deal with this relationship that's kind of off a little bit. I've got to get a car. I've got to get a job. I've got to, and I've got that, and I've got family, and I've got this hobby thing, and I've got, and I've got, and I've got. And my life is unfolding before me, and I don't even have time to think about my life, let alone to think about my afterlife. Because, hey, who can know it? So I'm not even really going to think about it because. We heard a phrase, some of you heard a phrase before, this person is so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly, what? Good. Some people are so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. But some people are not heavenly-minded enough that they don't actually know what it means to be earthly good. And this is what I want to suggest to us this morning, that our real life, your real life, the things that really roll out in front of you every morning when you get up, the worries you have, the anxieties and the concerns, the fears, the pressures you face, I'm telling you this, you cannot face them, I believe, without an awareness and an understanding of eternity. In fact, they are meaningless. They are meaningless without an awareness of how an eternal perspective shapes and informs your choices daily. And this is what I want to convince you of today. You might be sitting there, I don't know about that. I, don't know. I, I want to work you through that. There are a small handful of you here this morning, um, a smaller handful, who are in a different boat. Uh, those are, or, or who are listening to this online uh, later on, who are, who are in a position where you think about heaven a lot because you have a family member who, who died recently, uh, you have a loved one who's in heaven, and you've wondered, uh, whether at some point later or now, uh, earlier or now, you've wondered, do they, do they miss me like I miss them? You know, can, they, can they see what's going on here uh, on, on earth? I hope so, because I want them to know how much I miss them. I mean, I don't want them to see that, but I do want them to see this, right? 
Are they eating? Are they laughing? Can they eat eternal long johns and whoopie pies with, with no negative impact in their bodies? Do they have bodies? Are they doing the harp on a cloud thing? Or what actually is happening to them? And you have, or you know people who have had an unusual interest in heaven because someone died whom you know and love, and you just want to know where are they and what are they doing. That it's very interesting as you look over, and I looked over the New York Times bestseller list this past week. In the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list, number three was a book about heaven by a neurosurgeon, about what, um, what happens after death. In fact, that title, uh, the title of that was Proof of Heaven, number three, New York Times bestseller list. Number 27 called Erasing Death, How Science is Rewriting the Boundaries Between Life and Death. Number 33 is a book we have in our library, I believe, called Heaven is for Real, a little boy's astounding trip to heaven and back. A book that used to be on the New York Times bestseller list but has since dropped off. It spent a lot of time on there is a book called To Heaven and Back by Mary Neal. Um, she says she she's in a 1999 kayak accident overturned in Chile. Um, the country Chile, not in Chile. But, all right. She wasn't kayaking Chile. She was in the country of Chile. The thing overturned. And she was down underwater long enough where her, her friends were like, we can't get you out. They tried to get her out. And she... You know, okay, she died, and she says, I, I, I went to heaven and came back, and now that's her story. So we have this, this weird um, interest in heaven, and we kind of want to know if someone says, I've been there, yeah, I mean, Isaiah says, who can know it, but maybe Mary Neal does, so I'm going to buy her book. Um, and that's, we have this weird interest where there's seasons of life where we really want to know and really step into it, evidenced by a really unusual phenomenon that across our country, people are buying books on heaven. They want to know more about heaven and what it's like. So this morning, what I realize is that for most of us, heaven um, is so far removed from our day-to-day stuff that to stop and think about it seems almost a little bit like a, a waste of time. It's not practical because I've got things to do. What good does it do if I know about heaven and I still don't pay the bills? What good does it do if I, uh, if I learn about heaven but I, I'm still trying to get married and I can't? You know, What about that? So what I want to convince you of this morning is that this, that your life truly, and I believe this, I'm going to show you in the, the text of Scripture, I believe is very true, that your life doesn't really begin in earnest here on earth until we have and understand an eternal perspective, and that is the things in heaven. So if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn there with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 15 will be our text. We're going to land primarily in the first couple of verses. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew near you. You can find Colossians 3 on page 1144 or page 955. 1144 or 955. Um, we have two different Bibles in there just to kind of keep everybody on their toes. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible you picked up is yours for the taking. Feel free to take that baby home with you. Read that. Enjoy that. Find um, encouragement in, within that reading. That is our gift to you. Okay? So Colossians chapter 1, and my point is simply your life does not begin. Your real life does not begin until we're thinking about and aware of the realities of heaven. So Paul is writing, and just to kind of set up the context as we're jumping into Colossians 3 with no background, he's writing to a church, to an area um, in the town of Colossae. And the issue that he's writing to them about is really um, who is supreme, who's in charge here. And he's trying to make the point throughout the book of Colossians that of all the religions you can worship, of all the pursuits of your life, of all the things that you could give your passions and your energy toward, he's trying to make the point that Jesus Christ is supreme. 
that of all of the ways that you can invest your life, Jesus Christ, he is supreme over everything. Okay? So, so he makes that case throughout the book of Colossians. And here's what he says to begin in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, let's put the, push the pause button at the end of verse 4 and come back to the beginning of this. Look at the beginning words of verse 1 with me. Since then, what? You have, what? With, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? The, the language, the language of raised with Christ assumes this, that you have died. Isn't it an interesting statement that Paul makes? Check that out. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Well, that's not, that's not true, really, because it's like you've had, you have to die to be raised, right? I mean, you don't get raised while you're alive. There's no reason to raise you back to life if you're alive. So, so Paul's saying, since then, you've been raised with Christ. And to be honest, I'm thinking, what do you, what do you mean that I've been raised with Christ? I haven't, I can't even read this, Paul, if I'm dead. I mean, I, I'm reading, I'm living, breathing, since I've been raised with Christ. So you're assuming that I've died, that I've been raised with Christ. He's speaking to people who are alive in the town of Colossae and now to us, as if, as if you have actually died. I mean, died, died, dead. And then have consequently been raised. And he speaks about it with such confidence, it's in the past tense. Like since that, yeah, that happened. Remember when you died? You, you died. And you've been raised with Christ. And you're like, well, this is why the Bible is weird. What's this guy talking about? Since then, you've been raised with Christ. To Paul, he, and then he says, set your hearts on things above. For Paul... His belief in our, in our position is that when we come, and, and for those of you here this morning who fit this bill, when you have come in your life and you say, I want to trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. When he died on the cross, he took my sins on him. I believe that. If you're in that camp this morning, what Paul is saying is, when that happened, you died and then you were raised when Christ came back to life again. Now, if you are at the point where you're like, I don't really know that I believe all that stuff. I'm just kind of here because my girlfriend brought me or my boyfriend. And I, I don't know. Someone said they'd give me something after church if I came. So I'm not really sure what's going on. That's fine. This is not then you this morning. But for those who have come to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, you, you've died and now you've been raised. And he talks about the future as if it's the present. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, set your minds and things above. Here's what happens. We do this in our, in our culture a lot. If you've ever been um, engaged to get married, you begin acting like a married person, except for the living together in sex, during the engagement period. Right? 
And it's almost like you say, okay, the future is coming, but because of the future, I'm going to change my present. So since then, you could almost say, since then you've been married, you're going to live like a married person even though you're single. You're not going to be looking around for somebody else. Since then, you are expecting a child. You're going to change what you do. You're going to get that room ready. Since then, now this one's fun, you've already quit your job in your mind and your boss doesn't know about it yet. You're going to allow all that negative stuff just to flow right off you because you know since then, you know in two weeks I'm out of here and yeah, that's fine. You can cut me whatever you want to do. That's, that's fine. A future state changes your present. And it's almost like that with Paul. He's saying since then, you have died and you've been raised with Christ. Since then, that's happened. And it's so certain, it's so certain for Paul that it changes the present. And he says, set your hearts on things above. Very interesting. My heart, to be honest, and your hearts too, I think you can resonate with this. My heart is set on things right here. My heart is set on things of how to get ready for Together 2013 for this summer. My heart is set on the meetings I have this week. And my heart is set on the schedule of today, which... Is hardly a day of rest for me today, and the schedule is, is set for, for what it is this week in the season, and I'm thinking, man, this is where my heart gets set, and I don't know if you can resonate with that, but this is part of reality, isn't it? For some of you, I know that we have a couple of things going on in the schools. I think there's a musical this weekend, and your heart is kind of set on that, and for some of you, you've got you know, closing on a house and a baby coming and you know, health concerns, and this is where our hearts are set, and Paul is saying, if this is true, that your future, that you've been raised with Christ, set your heart. So take, imagine that. Imagine taking your heart. If you have the capability of taking your heart away from the things that, that so consume our thinking, take that and set it where? What does the text say? On things above. On, what does that mean? On things above. And then he clarifies what he means. Set it on things above. And he clarifies what he means by things above by saying this in the text. Where, who? Christ is what? Good, the three of you are right. Where Christ is seated, right, at the right hand of God. Okay, so in other words, take your heart that by default is going to be drawn to the things that are right around you and take that heart of yours and because you know that you've died and been raised already with Christ, take that heart and set it on heavenly things. This is where Christ is, in the heavenlies. Take that heart of yours and put it here. And we already know where your heart is, there your treasure is also. Where your heart goes, there goes your life and priorities. Where your heart goes, everything else comes through that grid. Then he says, um, don't just put your heart there in verse 2, set your what? more time with a little more oomph. Set your what? Wow, that was oomph. (laughs) Set your minds, it was good, on things above, not on what? Earthly things. And then check out verse 3. For you what? For you died. Just in case you weren't sure that verse 1 really meant you died to be raised, now Paul's clear. For you died. You died, died. You died. And, he, and it's such a strong reality for him that he's going to say, listen, everything about your future has to come through the understanding that when you place your faith in Christ, you die. 
you die. You have died in Christ. And then what happens to my life? And check it out. And your, what's the next word? And your what? Your life. Listen to that. Your life. Your life. Your life. So there's so many of us who are sitting here this morning, and you're asking the question, you have asked the question somewhere along the line, what am I going to do with my life? And I want my life to count. Man, and I want our lives to be great together. We're going to get married, and we're going to, our marriage is going to be like, no one else is going to be totally awesome. What am I going to do with my life? I just wish God would give me clarity for my life and what's going on. And he says, here is your life. Your life. And this is why I want you to know this, that until we get a heavenly view, an eternal view, our life right now, right in front of us, makes no sense without an eternal perspective. He says, what of our life? Our life is now what? Hidden with who? With Christ in God. Our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he's like, hey, when Christ... Just a reminder, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So check it out like this. Think about the engaged scenario again, all right? When you get engaged, some of you, this is still a dream, this may happen to you sometime and others, okay? When you get engaged to get married, there is a part, there is a part of you, and there's your singleness that dies, Right? Some of you are like, man, I can't wait for that funeral. Let's bring that baby on and make that happen. But your singleness dies. How foolish would it be for you to act like a single guy or a single girl if you were engaged to be married to somebody else because your future is as certain as can be. How foolish it is to live your life and say, man, I'm not... I'm not married yet, you know, it's still three and a half months away in four hours, 27 minutes, right? And I don't need to do that yet because this is my life right in front of me. I was like, listen, no, 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 you died, you died, you died. And your life, your life is now hidden, that thing is now taken from you, and it's moved, kind of been put into Christ, who's seated in the heavenlies. And your life, and when Christ returns, by the way, who is your life? Because I take my life and I give it to him in that sense, and I trust Christ with my life. Say, I'm going to give you my heart and my mind. I'm going to trust you for salvation. I'm going to give that to him. When he returns, verse 4, when he returns, he, or excuse me, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's this future hope. So here's what happens. Here's why this matters. If eternity is not in view, if I have no view of eternity, it doesn't matter at all what I do in the present. Have you ever thought about that? If there is no eternal state, if there's no um, heaven or no hell, then it makes no difference what I do today. In fact, if there is no heaven or there is no hell, the most logical thing to do, to be quite honest, is to be hedonistic or to be self-centered, to just live for myself, truly. Right? Why in the world would there be any benefit for me to live in any sense morally? And in fact, even could morality be established if there is no heaven in the future? If there is nothing beyond this life, it makes no sense to waste your time trying to be selfless, waste your time trying to be loving, waste your time trying to be gracious or raise good kids or take care of anything at all, because if this is all there is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. That is 
what you should live like if there is no eternity. So this is what we see next. When Paul writes, he's writing, he goes on to say, and he gives us basically a picture in verses 5 to 11 of things that we should avoid. And, and here's why I want to read these verses. Because what we see in these verses, are it's kind of an ugly picture of humanity. It's humanity at its worst in verses 5 to 11. It's what happens when we live like it doesn't really matter. It's what happens when we lose perspective that there is a heaven, that there is a God, and that my life, my real life, is hidden with Christ in God. Here's what happens to us in verses 5 to 11. He says, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Have you ever seen yourself there? I mean, look at, the, look at the language that Paul uses here, verse, verse 5. Put to death these things, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Verse 8, you must rid yourselves of these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, don't lie to each other. They don't have enough fingers to count what he's talking about. When, and here's the deal. This is the worst expression of humanity. This is the expression of my humanity. And I believe your humanity and all our humanity, when I lose sight of the fact that, that this life is not all there is. I mean, isn't that truth? When, when I'm selfish, I, it's just me. When I, when I give in to temptation, I'm just thinking about me. When I'm, when I'm angry with you or somebody else, I'm just thinking about me. And I've lost my heart and my mind are not set on things above. They're set on things right in front of me. And here's when I know that happens. When I'm looking at life and it's just so overwhelming, I don't sleep well I think that you guys, you're being so short-sighted and people are mean and, you know, things are tight and, and no one is doing what I'm doing and all this stuff and I'm just thinking about me and I've completely lost sight and here's, here's the line for us. When this happens, this should ring a bell in our brains and in our hearts to say, whoa, I'm, I'm angry. I'm so impatient right now. I'm so stressed. I, I don't think that this health thing is going to work out. And I don't think the money thing is going to work out. And I don't think that relationship is going to work out. And I don't think my kids are ever going to work out. And I just don't think, and I don't think, I don't think. I'm like, wait, doesn't Paul say something about set your heart and your mind on things above? And when I don't do that, then the things on this earth so consume me and are so appealing to my heart and mind that I just get consumed with myself and my stuff. This is why eternity matters. Paul gives us a picture of life at its worst, humanity at its worst, when we lose sight of eternal perspective. And then he goes on to give us the positive side in verses 12 to 15. Therefore, here's what to do. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with... Read these five words with me, these five character traits. With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13 says, bear with each other and what? 
Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as, read the last part of that verse with me, as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on what? Love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is a picture of what the believer in Jesus looks like when they've taken their heart, taken their mind, and set it on things above. All of a sudden, you're like, I never thought I could forgive that person. But I need to. Because I've died, my life is hidden with Christ in God, and Christ is my life. So my prerogative to be offended by what you do to me, I don't have that anymore when I take my heart and mind and put it on things above. That compassion that I am, I just, I don't feel that compassion. That person is such a jerk, they keep doing that the same way, and oh, they just never get it, and they're always in there. And that, yeah. that mercy, that patience, that low stress level, that we all feel every day, right? Comes because we've set our heart and mind on things above. Not that we are no earthly good, but that we are finally earthly good. Because we realize that it matters when I take my heart and mind and place it on things above. Because that is when I understand my real life. Because my Life died and was raised with Christ, who is now seated in the heavenlies. This is why it matters when I think about heaven and think about the realities of the future. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do with all of this. I would like you right now to get in your brain, to get in your mind, and if you're a writer and you can write that or you do the thing on your phone or your iPad or whatever, Make a note mentally or on paper right now. Just two things. Just two things. Two priorities that are constantly on your heart and mind right now. Two things that you are thinking about routinely. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it, or you wake up in the morning thinking about it. It could be a bad work situation. It could be a bad marriage situation. It could be a bad health situation. It could be uncertainty about your relationship future. It could be college stuff. It could be money stuff. It could be... It could be um, people stuff, like I need to forgive that person, they're such a jerk and I don't think I ever can and all that. I want you to think about two things, just two situations right now that, that are on your heart and mind, that just are a part of your normal everyday deal. And they're, they're giving you some pressure, they're giving you some weight, they're kind of, mm, you know, I wish I could, if I could get rid of that, that would be awesome. And boy, there's some real uncertainty there and it's kind of, that's raising my stress level. I want you to, to think about those two things. Now what I want you to do is to ask the question, what if I were to, what if I were to take those things, just, just those two things, I mean, forget everything else, if you're really worried about, about you know, work and a family member, just forget your marriage, forget your parenting, forget the money, you'll get to that, but just think about two things that are, that are on your mind. What would it look like if I stepped into that with my heart and mind on heavenly things? What would it look like if I stepped into that relationship and remembered I died to myself and my life was raised with Christ? 
What would it look like for you to take your heart and your mind and kind of pull it away from the gravitational pull of that issue that wants all of your heart and mind and say, no, you can't have it all because that is not all my life. My life is hidden with Christ and God. So I'm going to pull that away from the issues that are just so drawing my heart. I'm going to pull it. I'm going to place it here. Imagine what that would feel like to you. Imagine what it would feel like to live like that, to wake up in the morning and look at that person or look at your job or look at your money or look at your relationship and say, God, help me to forgive as you've forgiven me. Above all these virtues, God, help me to put on love that will bind all of my life together in perfect unity. Help me to practice compassion. To remember, like Romans 5.8 says, that while I was still a sinner, you died for me. That's how much love you showed me. This is why I'm telling you, if you want to make sense of your life right now, the things that you wake up worried about, the things that you go to bed stressed about, the things you wish you could change right now, your life doesn't begin until we understand the eternal perspective. That eternity informs everything we do in this world. And the more selfish I am, the more angry I am, the more impatient I am, the more stressed I am, the more I realize my heart and my mind are not set up here. They are just consumed down here. Imagine what that would be like to love again, to forgive again, to be compassionate again, to have your heart and your mind transformed by the reality that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging that this is a difficult teaching, but also seeing the truth of it in your word. That our very being, our very lives, we have positionally died, and we've now been raised to new life. When we've placed our faith and we've confessed our sin and placed our faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is so hard to live in the reality of something that has not yet come. It is so hard to live like a parent until you have a child. It's so hard to live like you're married until you're actually married. It's so hard to live like you have a new job when you don't have a new job yet. And in a way, this is what you're asking us to do. Live in the reality of your future home. Set your heart and your mind on that while we walk through the things that we have this day, this week, this month, this season. And so God, may the bells and whistles go off when our anger kind of pushes far and our stress level kind of keeps rising and our impatience with people who are just doing things they shouldn't do and Help us see those as times when our hearts and minds need a little bit of a corrective. That the the things that we're going to face, the the powers of the pull of of sin in the, the grave are so strong that we need to remember how far you've come to pull us and save us and draw us to yourself. Father, we, we're going to need your help with this. The power, the strength and the pull of this life that we face is so strong. But we know, even as this final song says here, that your love never fails, it never gives up, and it never runs out on me. Your love 
that you showed me when you died, sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. That love never gives up and it never runs out on me. No matter what mountains I face, no matter what powers and struggles I face, we know that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. No matter what. Give us the courage, I pray, to see where we need these correctives and to live in light of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray.